Whether you're a pro athlete, an exhausted parent, or you spend all day in an office chair, CBDMD wants to give you the support you need to make it through the day. CBD Freeze and Recover are an outstanding duo of topical products with specialized formulas to provide targeted relief where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try Freeze, Recover, and every other CBDMD product, you can take 25% off on your next order when you use the promo code MBA at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code MBA for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD products from CBDMD. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 929 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Friday evening into Saturday morning, and thank you, as always, for joining us on the show today. We will touch on what became a more narrow loss than it actually was. The Hawks lose to the Spurs tonight at Safe Arm Arena by a final score of 125-114. to That is bad enough, but if you do not see the game, you were definitely misled by that final score, which we'll touch on in a moment. The Hawks were losing 110-72. to Yes, 110-72. to after three quarters. So that was more indicative of the game itself. We'll touch on that momentarily. First, there was some news from Friday that I'm going to leave with. Actually, I was going to have this at the end of the podcast if the game was competitive, but because the game was not competitive, we will start with this. Um, there was a report from Sam Amick of The Athletic that drew a lot of attention on Friday. He started the piece off by talking about the John Collins situation, kind of broadly speaking, with the Hawks not coming to agreement with Collins over the offseason on an extension. Also acknowledging the Hawks need him to be their best this season because uh, he's one of their best players, obviously, and the playoffs being a mandate of sorts for Atlanta. As I've talked about a ton in the past, if you're a new listener, forgive me for this, uh, for not saying all of this again, but I'll, I'll, I'll be short. The Hawks have been at their best with Collins on the court this year. They've been awesome when he plays, actually, and pretty bad when he sits. That's the same for Trey Young as well. But they have huge splits on off. In the positive, and individually, he's been the best he's ever been, honestly, as an overall player this year. I know the stats, the scoring numbers are down from last year, but defensively, he is better. He's just as efficient, and the usage is a little bit lower. But I think overall, he is playing his best basketball of his career to this point of this season, despite the modest numbers. For By his standards, he's still averaging like, like 18 and 8. But alas, with that in mind, um, Amick notes that, quote, many rival executives believe his NBA future will eventually be elsewhere. End quote. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, but that was that wasn't really the headliner anyway that I took away from this. Um, before I dive into that, if you take a step step back out of, out of Atlanta for a second, go broadly speaking for national purposes, it is not out of the ordinary for rumblings to start about trade stuff with a guy who is not extended. I get that. That's kind of the broad strokes. But I will, as we dive in here, I will pour a little bit of cold water on this in a positive way for Atlanta. I think. But Amick wrote. I'm going to quote him now. The Hawks have shown a willingness to listen to offers for Collins, end quote. Now, this is not really new. This has been reported multiple times, and I've said the same in the last year or so. The Hawks are willing to listen to offers. I've known that for a long time. That's been kind of publicly out there for a while. So, again, not a surprise, not a big deal, nothing terribly new there, but worth noting. Um, I will say this. Listening to offers is not, crucially, this is not the case. Listening to offers does not mean the team is shopping John Collins. Shopping and listening are very different. If the, if the report was the team was shopping Collins, that'd be more noteworthy to me, especially from a national source like, like Amick, who is credible. Um, again, listening to offers 
being willing to listen to offers does not mean the Hawks are going to trade John Collins. It does not mean they're, that they're trying to trade John Collins or shopping him or anything like that. Listening to offers is something that just happens with most guys in the league, honestly. So there's nothing inherently wrong with that. In case someone bowls you over with an offer, I think the Hawks would be wise to listen. It doesn't mean they're going to have to trade him. Um, just objectively speaking, if you think about this, if the Hawks are listening to offers and they get bowled over by an offer of like you know five first round picks for John Collins, which is which isn't going to happen, but if that happened, you got to you kind of probably have to take it. That kind of stuff, you know. Occasionally, sometimes uh, another team will make a mistake. All that stuff, and that's worth pointing out. Within the same piece, Amick reported that it quote appears unlikely that he'll be on the move, end quote. Which, and by the way, that is in part because he is so crucial to the team right now. That's kind of the lens in which Amick was talking about this: is that the Hawks are in need of Collins to be their best. And because of that, and those and those factors, it becomes harder to trade him right now. So at the same time as reported that the Hawks are listening to offers, he's reporting that it appears unlikely that he'll be on the move. So that's uh, all worth pointing out. There was one line that I bumped on, and it was Amick writing plainly that Collins, quote, sees himself as a max player and the Hawks don't, end quote. I'll say this. It could be true. That could be flat out the case. I don't know that to be the case, and basically he was using the extension negotiations as the reason to back that up. Uh, a team not wanting to sign a max extension on a rookie scale contract does not necessarily mean that they don't see him as a max player. You know, as I said a lot over the summer, not wanting to give the guy a max a year early, especially when you have match rights, as they will in this situation, does not mean that you don't want to pay him inherently. It could mean that, but it does not have to mean that by any means. And the team has leverage, as I've said a hundred times. Um, I would not have given them max last summer. There was no reason to do that because they can match any offer this summer. And that's kind of just the way the, 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 the negotiations have to go here. My on-record stance is that I wouldn't max anyone that's not a complete star. Um, Trey Young, max him, go ahead, that's fine. But even guys that have gotten maxes that were, I would say, more highly regarded nationally, like Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell, those are guys that I may not have maxed out early. Um, and those guys are seen as a higher uh, regarding Collins in a lot of ways. So, any rates, I would like to pay John Collins a lot of money, but I would not have maxed him a year, a year ago. Regardless, I'll say my, my overall takeaway before we move on to the game and all that stuff, because this is not that big of a deal, honestly, is that, again, none of this is surprising. That's my overall takeaway. In this space, I have mentioned before, that is not an absolute 100% lock that Collins is on the team in two years. I think he'll be on the team beyond this year, if I had to guess. People asking me that today, that's my on-record stance. I am, if I, had to, if I had to predict, I think Collins does not get traded and ends up re-signing with the Hawks, or at least having the Hawks match an offer sheet. I think that he won't be traded in season. It is not impossible that he would be traded. It's not impossible whatsoever. I'm not ruling it out. But if I had to guess, again, I would say he's not traded just because of the common sense factor here. So... Collins is not making that much money right now as a number 19 overall pick. He's making a little bit more now in year four than he was before, but not a huge salary. And because of that, and the fact that they're in season, it's really, really, really hard to trade John Collins for comparable salary and not make your team notably worse. Yes, there are pick-based packages that the Hawks could do where you're trading him for some future-facing assets, but the Hawks are trying to win right now. That's important. Um, if they were dead set on trading him, they certainly could do it. But there's no indication of that at this point in time. I think he's going to get a lot of money on the market this this summer if he keeps up this level of play and remains healthy. It's that's worth pointing out as well. It's a pretty weak free agent class now after everyone signed extensions other than Kawhi, and he's 23 years old and a guy who's like a top 50 guy in the league. He's going to get a lot of money and he should. He's that good of a player. Um, so the dynamics that are in play here about winning this season really do matter. And again, short of 
a deal for a star emanating where like obviously I'm asked about this all the time like if Bradley Beal was available and the Hawks wanted to use Collins as a big piece of that trade that would make at least some logical sense but unless you're going with a package to get Collins to you know a high high level of salary to, for a for a star it's hard to see a move that makes your team better while also trading John Collins the other way to do that would be again to sort of sell off for the future trading him for a young guy or two plus picks but again, that makes your team worse as you're trying to win this year. So, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot going on here. I think a lot of the internet fake trades that were generated focused on a lot of rebuilding type trades, and those not, those don't make a lot of sense to me unless you're unless you're in a desperate spot that the Hawks are just not in at this point in time. So, I'll say this to summarize: I would guess Collins is not traded. It's not impossible, but it seems unlikely to me given where the Hawks are and the fact that they're, that they're trying to win all of the logistics in play with what a trade would need to look like, etc. It's a situation that's not likely to fade away, though, because nationally, if the Hawks are listening, and they seem to be, um, it's not going to just stop happening. So we will we will probably have a Collins trade rumor at some point in time, another one besides this, so strap in on that one. But again, my stance right now is that I'm expecting the Collins to not be moved, and uh, I, 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 I will say my operating is to downplay this at this moment in time. Last thing before we get to the game, uh, Trey Young got fined on Thursday. Uh, 20 grand for directing inappropriate language toward a game official. After the controversial ending on Wednesday, referee Josh Tiven told the pool reporter on Wednesday that they ruled the contact at the end of the game against Dallas as incidental. Obviously, you talked about it a lot on the podcast on our last show about that play. I made mention that Young was very, very mad and sort of incensed by that no call, and Pierce commented on it as well. So I wasn't too surprised to see that Trey got fined, but the NBA's last two-minute report actually backed up their no call I think it was probably a foul still, as I've said m- multiple times now. Um, but there you go on that. That was kind of a, uh, it just costs Trey money out of his wallet. So fortunately, Trey has a lot of money. So that's, that's not that big of a deal. But anyway, that happened at the end of Wednesday. That was, the other, that was the other sort of news item in the last couple of days. Obviously, less consequential than the Collins news ended up being. All right, before we turn the page to what became a pretty ugly game in a lot of ways, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing. But there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, it's now time to dive into this pretty depressing game in a lot of ways for the Hawks. Um, they were still shorthanded in this game, missing four guys. Rondo was out again along with Hunter, Bogdanovich, and Dunn, so that's four of their projected perimeter players in the rotation from the, from the game of the season, but still... Uh, it was pretty hideous in a lot of ways. The Hawks were favored, actually, at tip-off against the Spurs. No Aldridge for the Spurs, which actually 
probably makes them better. They're actually a lot better this season without Aldridge on the floor, which seems kind of productive for a guy who is a high-profile former All-Star, but the Spurs probably were aided by that in some on some level, and they played great in this game. Credit to them, but uh, a lot of mishaps from the Hawks. We will not do our full breakdown on this podcast just because uh, the game got so out of hand, but we'll start at least reasonably so in the first half of this game. The Hawks started out slow. They actually didn't score on the first trip, four, four, first four trips of the game offensively, and the Spurs went up 13-6. to six. The Hawks did sort of battle back from there, but they, they trailed by as many as 10 at one point in the first quarter. The Spurs were hot and uh, not turning the ball over either. Same rotation as usual from the Hawks early on. There was, by the way, there was a double technical foul from Collins and, and DeJounte Murray so with some jawing happening there. I couldn't stop DeRozan in the early going either. They went to a Trey Young plus bench lineup late in the first quarter with Gallinari as well on the floor. Trey carried the offense um, and kept things competitive almost on his own in the first quarter. He actually had 12 points in three minutes and four seconds at one point in the first quarter to kind of save the offense's bacon at that, at that point in time. But defensively, it was a mess kind of throughout. They tried to get Young some extra rest in the first quarter with a full bench lineup. I did not like that at all. Um, you know, Pierce is someone who I have defended at times. This is not a good night for Lloyd overall because, you know, preparation-wise, I know, you know I'll, be, I'll be the first to say the Spurs shot the heck out of the ball in this game, but a bad loss, and the Hawks defensively had some issues, and those get attributed to coaching a lot, and uh, sometimes rightfully so. Sometimes, I should say, rightfully so. But they went to this full full bench lineup late in the first quarter that was not advisable. I would not try to do that. It, it, basically just for a small period of time, but it did not work at all. Um, in fact, they had kind of a pretty ugly four possession stretch. They actually got Trey back in the game late for the five, first, sorry, the final five seconds of the first quarter. It was actually a pretty good sub, I thought, because it was offense only. Trey got back into the game and actually drew a three-shot foul. That worked out pretty well there for Atlanta, but that was kind of the high, high watermark for a while. Again, offensively, it wasn't the problem for most of this game, actually, especially in the first half. The offense was not the problem. It was defense. And by the way, Trey Young had his number one scoring first quarter of the season. He had 17 points in the first quarter. That's now going to be completely forgotten because of the rest of the game. But he was red hot in the early going. The Spurs were putting up all kinds of points. Uh, Things got away from the Hawks in the second quarter. That was kind of the one that really decided this game. It was 41-19 to in favor of San Antonio in the second quarter. Offensively, the Hawks scored four points in the first three minutes as they went back to the bench. A little, a little bit with a bench. It was not a full bench uh, lineup. It was Capella, Herter, Gallinari, Hill, and Goodwin to open the second quarter. Um, they went back to the starters, except with Goodwin in, uh, in there for Trey for a little while longer. And that wasn't the problem necessarily. I mean, they sort of lost the lead. But honestly, the starters were bad in this game. It's been a lot of the time, a lot of the on-off splits that were uh, really, really cooking for guys like Collins and Young are going to regress from this game a little bit because those guys were bad in this game. Not like, obviously, Trey played well individually at times, but um, the starters overall were not good in this game. Um, the trail at 15 points. It was still manageable. The game was not over with about five minutes to go. It was 57-42, and they were hanging around. They, they didn't play well at all. The Spurs were hot, but the game wasn't over. Then it got worse, and the game kind of ended with a 16-0 run by the Spurs. So they're already up. You know, in that 15-point range, and it was uh, it was 12 at one point, and then suddenly it was 28. It was 72 to 44. It settled in at 77-48 at the half. That was the most points allowed by the Hawks in the first half of this entire season at 77. The, the Spurs shot 62% from the floor. Again, I say 62% from the floor and nine of 14 from three. The Spurs are not a huge three-point shooting team, but if they're gonna if they're gonna shoot nine of 14, then you're in deep trouble. They had about a 149 offensive rating before halftime. 
And yeah, that's again, that it's a combination of things. I'll be the first to say when the Hawks get unlucky. And they did a little bit in this game because the Spurs are not quite as good as they were in this game, but the Hawks did not play defense either. So it was a combination of factors. The Spurs were hot. The Hawks were also bad. And that leads to catastrophic results. The second quarter was even worse than the first half overall. The Hawks shot 8 of 23 from the floor. The Spurs shot 70% in the second quarter, including 6 of 9 from 3. So what are you going to do? Uh, I will hat tip this to front of the podcast, Tower Jones, who actually tweeted this on, during the game on Friday. Actually, I, thought, I, thought, I thought it was smart. Um, and I th- the rewatch that I did quickly after the game backs this up a little bit. I think the Hawks maybe got frustrated with the Spurs making contested shots at one point and let that bother them, get, let that affect them. That's not a good thing. Uh, it's just kind of the reality of the situation. And then when the Hawks stopped making their own shots and uh, that kind of sm- that kind of snowballed. So it's one of those games where it's a team that got in its own head, I think, at one point, and the Spurs played great, and uh, that's how you end up going down by 29 at the half. So, uh, yeah. Not a lot, not a lot of positivity to speak of at, at the first half break. But again, 77-42, sorry, 77-48, I should say, at the end of the first half. And we'll have more on this game. The fourth quarter was more fun, so we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, first, before we get on to the rest of the game and sign off on this fine Friday evening, a word from our friends at Bill Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case. But also, the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic, and they continue to be so. But now, there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course, my personal favorite, in cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, let's finish this thing up. And a uh, pretty ugly podcast, but alas, here we are. Um, the third quarter was the third quarter. <laughs> uh, the Hawks went empty on three trips in a row to start the half. And the Spurs scored the first five points to go up by 34. So if there's any any faint hope of a run coming when they were down 29 at the half, evaporated very quickly. They got they got down they got down 39 at about the eight minute mark of the third quarter. Then they had a brief mini run, but that was kind of the end of that. And the uh, the way that I would frame this is that Bruno Fernando was in the game along with Skylar Mays, who actually played great in the fourth quarter. Um, they came in the game early in the third. So that was not going to be the plan on this fine evening, but when you're down 39 points in the third quarter, that's how things work. Um, and the back-to-back is looming, so I, I think that's the right thing to do, just kind of just pull. I mean, it was already going to be out of hand anyway, but just pull everybody and reset for tomorrow. The Hawks showed by as many as, many as 42 in the fourth quarter. And then there was a bright spot. It was Skylar Mays. Mays went crazy in the third and fourth quarter, especially early in the fourth. He had 15 points in a nine-minute stretch, including making his first five shots from the floor. He had a career-high 20 points. We'll come back to him later on. But um, that was a genuinely fun outcome in the fourth quarter. Not much else to say about it. There was, at one point, the Hawks were playing a front court of Nathan Knight, I guess at the three, along with the Kongwu and Fernando, because they were kind of short on bodies and they wanted to play all the young guys. So that was kind of funny. Um, the Hawks actually went on a 22-4 to run 
in the fourth, led by Mays, to cut the lead down to 24. And eventually, they got the lead into, uh, you know, obviously the losses come out 11, but it was uh, interesting. It never actually was really in doubt, but they really kept pushing, and they won the fourth quarter by a final of 42 to 15. The Spurs piddled off, obviously, and the Hawks uh, at least made it competitive at the end. So, uh, on one hand, you want to credit the guys who made it competitive. On the other hand, I will stress heavily this, that the game was totally over and no one was really trying. Obviously, Scott Mays was playing, was playing hard, and the young guys were playing hard in the fourth quarter, but. Yeah, I don't want to overstate it. It was fun, and we'll talk about Skyler in a second when we talk about individual players, but overall, that cannot erase what was really a terrible performance from Atlanta until then. Now the Hawks have lost five of the last six. That is not what you want for a team trying to be, trying to be in the playoff mix. They're 11-14. They are now below 500 at 6-8 six, six at, at home as well. That is not great. The Spurs are a pretty good team, so no shame in losing to them, but losing to them like this is not defensible at home in any way, shape, or form. Um... Broadly speaking, the defense was so bad, it's like hard, kind of hard even to describe uh, how bad the numbers were. So through the competitive portion of the game, which was three quarters, the Spurs were 42 of 68 from the floor through three. That's about 61.8%. That's atrocious, obviously. They were 12 of 23 from three. Uh, got to the line 18 times. The Spurs had 27 assists through three, through three quarters and only seven turnovers. So that's just so bad. Uh, you know, Again, part of that, credit to the Spurs, but... Really bad performance defensively. And even with the fourth quarter hideousness, the Spurs still scored 1.22 points per possession, which is very bad for Atlanta. Offensively, the Hawks, through three quarters again, had 72 points, which isn't like terrible, terrible, but they did not shoot the ball well in this game. And aside from Trey's run in the first half, there was not a lot to speak of offensively uh, in a positive way until the Scott May show in the fourth quarter. Um... Defensively, I'll go back to this real quickly. Uh, I'm sure you have probably seen this at this point in time. If you're a diehard Hawks fan, listen, listen to this podcast. But it was on the broadcast. It was also on Twitter via the Hawks feed uh, for Fox Sports Southeast. But Lloyd Pierce got pushed by Chris Kirshner. Um, verbally, not actually physically. We're all on Zoom. <laughs> but per, uh, sort of pushed to expand on what he said previously, which is what we were talking about the Hawks needing to make the Pacers feel them defensively on Saturday, improve defense, all that stuff. If you want the full context, and I would definitely recommend that, I would watch the entire video. It's like seven and a half minutes long, and obviously that's, that's his full presser. But I'll, I'm going to play you about a minute of Lloyd kind of going on a rant. He was visibly frustrated and obviously did not love the questioning from Chris Kirchner, but Chris was just doing his job there and pushing a little bit as uh, you know people should be doing every once in a while uh, as reporters. But you can hear this, uh, and it's basically Lloyd rattling off a ton of defensive concept focuses. This is a basketball nerd podcast in a lot of ways. I'm definitely a basketball nerd. And while you rarely get the full-blown like scheme terminology used, you'll have some broad stuff, there's some coach speak. This is one of those times where Lloyd got so frustrated that he kind of just like went into a full rant that included a lot of terminology and actual basketball content. So I'm going to play that for you now. It was, it was pretty interesting and pretty intriguing for me to uh, hear, even despite the odd circumstances. So here's that minute of audio, even if it's just only part of the whole. Yeah, I'm, They I'm have to get into bodies. They have to touch somebody. They've got to be physical. We've got to tag rollers. We've got to punch on. Uh, we got to wipe the post. We've got to be in the bodies and go over screens. We've got to be up to touch in the pick and roll. Uh, we got to the tag rollers, we got to get the closeouts, force hot shooters to dribble. Uh, we've got to make our adjustments at the level of the screen. We've got to X out on the perimeter. We've got to be multiple effort. We've got to be airspace on the closeouts. 
Uh, we've got to pick up full court. We've got to get into bodies and change directions, try and spin some ball handlers. We've got to deflect on the ball handlers. We've got to make sure that when they're making their crossover, someone's sitting there when there's a driving gap, we've got to be in the gaps. We've got to make sure that there's an extra pass on every single possession. When there's an extra pass, we got to make sure we get out and contest. We got to do it with discipline so that no one is fouling shooters on the perimeter. We got to make sure we find bodies on the perimeter. We got to come in and make our hits. We got to rebound, secure the basketball so we can get out and run. Uh, when we're at the free throw line, we got to X on the, the best defensive rebounder. Tomorrow it's Sabonis. Uh, we got to make sure we bring our biggest perimeter from the perimeter into and make sure Miles Turner doesn't get on the rebounds. Um, anything else you want? So obviously there is some frustration boiling over there from Lloyd Pierce. Uh, there you go. There's always been a lot of criticism about, about Lloyd in the recent past that I have. Uh, I think it's been overblown. But in this game, I, I do understand being upset with the coaching staff because you just, you know, at some point there is a challenge that has to happen or you're responsible on some level for not having the guys ready to play defensively. And that just happened in this game. So I kind of just took the uh, white flag out and did not want to engage on coaching staff this evening. I think it's overblown, but also uh, you have to bring that up at some point. And crucially, I, I think it's important to just say that, you know, they've had some moments this year where it has not been great. And that's uh, worth pointing out. I think the Hawks, the bigger issue in this game was that they just did not make shots in the first half other than Trey. And then they let things snowball, which again, that can be attributed to coaching as well. So pluses and minuses. I'm not going to pour, uh, you know, gasoline on the fire, but I think the Hawks were not prepared to play at least in this game. And that goes on, on some levels of the coaching staff, but the guys also have to just perform and they even the, particularly the rotation guys were just not good enough in this game. And it kind of snowballed on them. So there you go on that. Um, Last thing on the podcast, we'll go through the individual players. I'm not going to do the whole deep dive breakdown, but we're actually going to start on the bench. Um, actually, we'll start on the starters in this game because the bench was more impressive. Uh, Trey was the bright spot offensively at 25 points in 23 minutes. He was efficient and positive offensively. Um, Shouts to him for carrying the offense in the first half, as I said before. Capella had a double-double, 14 and 11. He had a couple nice moments offensively. He had some good finishes, was better offensively in this game. Um, defensively, not quite making his presence felt a whole lot, but he did have two block shots. Um, the trio of Collins, Herter, and Reddish combined for 20 points, which, by the way, was only the same amount as Skylar May scored by himself in this game. Um, but combined, Collins, Herter, and Reddish were, um, I believe, 7 of 27 from the floor, which, you know, that's not good. And they were not good. Uh, John, I think, has been awesome this season. He was not awesome in this game by his standards. And then Herder Reddish both struggled on the wing, so that gets you in trouble. And then elsewhere in the rotation, briefly, uh, Gallinari was quite bad, I thought, again. Um, he actually ended up being plus three, which is funny because he was not he was in, he was on the floor for some of that run in the second half. But he looks uh very slow, obviously, as he's always going to be. But I think defensively he's hurting them right now in a lot of ways. And then offensively, he's not been good enough to override override that. You know, in the past. If he was the Gallinari from last season, he would be good enough to override that because he's been so good on offense and he does have to get guarded, but um, they need more from Gallinari, simply put. Um, I'm not going to stress that right now because it was kind of a across-the-board failure tonight, but he was not good. Um, Hill and Snell combined to shoot 0-7 from the floor, and those guys have to make shots. That's their primary value on offense is just making spot-ups, and they just did not make shots in this game, and then defensively didn't really help things. And then the other, other guy who played the rotation in this game was Akongwu, and Goodwin actually played a little bit as well. We'll talk about him in a second. Akongwu played 16 minutes. His numbers look good at the end. He had six points and two steals and two assists, three rebounds in 16 minutes, but he was very bad in the first half when the game actually was in doubt. He was uh, That was his worst step by far. You know, I think it's good for him 
to play some minutes that were a little bit more low leverage, obviously, in the second half. And he was more competitive. He was better and more comfortable. Um, I, I tweeted this a little bit during the game. Malak's in a weird spot right now with the Kongwu because he's not clearly not ready. The last couple of weeks, he's been not an NBA rotation level player. And they're in a weird spot as a result of that because he is the number six overall pick. So there's some pressure to play him. They also don't have a lot of other options. You know, he, their other options are Bruno Fernando and Nathan Knight, who's on a two-way. So you're in this weird spot where either, I guess the other option would be to just play Capella or Collins 48 minutes at center, which they have done at times, but there is an incentive to play him, even though he's not necessarily all the way there yet. And again, I'm, I'll keep saying this for a while longer at, at the very minimum. It is too early to panic on my Kongwu. He had a very rough, weird transition to the NBA. Um, I get people being worried. That's fine. I'm not worried yet. Um, I will say he's not been good. That's worth pointing out. Rookies are usually bad, and he has been bad. So no no uh, ifs, ands, or buts about that. But he's going to have to get better, and there were some flashes in the fourth quarter, albeit in low-leverage minutes. And a good one, again, same story. He was bad in the first half and better after that. Actually ended up with 13 points. <laughs> Most of that went in the second half. I was actually plus 22. There's some there's some pretty hilarious plus minuses from the bench because of the fourth quarter and the way that that went. Um, Knight, Fernando, Okongwu, and Goodwin and Mays are all plus 21 or better, which is kind of hilarious to see in a 10-point loss. Sorry, 11-point loss. But the story of the evening, um, positively, if you want to find one other than uh, maybe Trey's first half, was Skylar Mays. 20 points, 3 assists, 1 rebound. He was 7 of 10 from the floor, 4 of 5 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line in 17 minutes. So 20 points, 17 minutes. And coming into the game, Skyler had not made a field goal in the NBA. He only had 2 points. They were at the free throw line. So he went from having 0 points on, sorry, 2 points on 0 of 6 from the floor to having 20 points in 1 half. And again, I, I know all the noise, but he was it was fun to watch. People asking me if he could be in the rotation now. I would... You know, say so this is probably closer to where we saw with Nate Knight uh, early in the season, where they used him a couple times in the rotation, sort of as a spark plug. Pierce actually referenced that actually after the game. He, he talked about Knight and uh, using him early, early in the season. I don't think that they're suddenly going to have Skylar Mays being a rotation full blown, but without Rondo and like, you know, they actually had Mays starting at the starting, his first stretch, I should say, was that was at the point um, in the third quarter. And that actually worked. You know, he's definitely more of a combo. He's not like a pure point guard by any means, but he does, he has some point guard skills to be sure. I like that draft pick when they made it, as I said on the podcast back then. Uh, he's still on a two way. He's but he's an older guy. He's not someone who has no experience. He played at a high level in college, coming out of LSU, so he could be competitive. We could see him more. I'm not going to tell you that we're definitely going to. I think that you, I would hesitate to assign too much to this, but he did play very well, and that was a fun moment. He talked about his uh, parents watching him on TV. That was fun to see. I like Skylar Mays in my experience so far, and uh, that was a fun little uh, sidebar at the end of the game that was, uh, you know, I guess mildly positive to talk about after the rest of this uh, pretty brutal night at the office. So that will do it for the game breakdown. Again, my last thought would be this is an unacceptable loss. You have to be, you know, clear about that. Uh, no no explaining away a 42-point deficit against the Spurs. The Spurs are a pretty decent team, but you cannot lose the way they did in this spot and uh, be okay with it. I guess it's this is one of those times where it's probably a good thing that the Hawks have a back-to-back, which is a rare thing to say, but they at least had the opportunity to come out and erase some of this on Saturday. Uh, Pierce mentioned that Solomon Hill was talking to the team after the game and talked about a short memory. They're going to need one. The Pacers are pretty good. They're not, I think they're they're not incredible, but that's a game that the Hawks can win at home. If they win it, then they get the split over the weekend. And, you know, at the end of the day, who cares? It's not the worst thing in the world. If they lose again on Saturday, it's going to be a pretty negative atmosphere, I would imagine, after the way that this all went down on Friday. So 
little bit of extra pressure for a team that's now 11 and 14. And uh, we'll see how they respond. And you know, obviously, I don't, I don't want to overstate it, but there was definitely some uh, visible frustration from Pierce, especially after the game. And uh, you know, the pressure has been turned up. There's no question about that. And we'll see how they respond to it on Saturday. It's been it's late. Uh, I am fried. It's been a pretty brutal week. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed the content on this podcast. And my apologies if I've been a little bit snippy. I got into it with some people on Twitter (laughs) earlier this week. I had a migraine and it's been a rough one. But thank you for listening to the podcast. Hopefully that was somewhat coherent. Uh, Not a fun night to be a Hawks fan, I'm sure, other than uh, Skyler in the fourth quarter. But uh, hopefully a little bit better on Saturday if you are consuming this podcast. Please subscribe to the show. I will have a new a new podcast after, sort of a bonus pod on Saturday night. I don't usually record on the weekends, but when it's a Saturday night game, I will record. It's going to be here, and uh, we'll have, hopefully, a, a better result to discuss. So tell a friend or two or three about the podcast. Yell at me if you'd like to on Twitter, at BT Roland. Uh, I was called many things today, and uh, hopefully I did not talk down to anybody. But alas, thank you sincerely for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you all next time.